Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Covert, and I'm so excited to be welcoming my friend and colleague, Angela Monteith. And Angela is a certified SATS trainer, and she came into my realm of, well, at least my known realm of influence, when she was working with a very challenging dog named Bud. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to you right here, Angela, because all I knew about Bud at the time was he was a bird dog which is often a handful of dog to begin with, but he had really scary prognoses given to him by a state university vet school. So, so folks, Angela is a competent dog trainer that works a lot with uh, bird hunting dogs and has solved all kinds of problems. And like, she's got an entire group. (laughs) <laughs> of bird hunting dogs and oh, not as much anymore <laughs> I know I know we know we don't like them no yeah. dogs everywhere live for 80 years okay Forever. make that change if only set an intention and work towards it okay so anyway I'm going to turn it totally to you Angela and just tell okay. us the story of Bud Oh, before I turn it over to you. Oh, oh look. I grabbed a picture of him nice and handy. There so he definitely is. Definitely a bird dog. Definitely a bird dog through and through. He so, was a treat. So, Angela, let's make sure we do this. Folks, when you get done with this podcast, you're going to uh, relive with Angela the special case story of Bud, but you're also going to have a strategy plan for approaching this kind of cases, the so-called hopeless case that Angela showed was not only full of hope, but Bud lived a good long life successfully. He sure did. Yeah. So she's going to tell you the story of Bud, but then tell you what you need to know to approach this kind of case where there isn't much out there to guide you. I'm all ears, Angela. Take it away. Okay. So I fostered Bud through a German short hair pointer rescue group. They sent him to me specifically because I am a trainer. But nobody knew the problems that he had when he came into the rescue. He was actually fine at the shelter. And when I picked him up from the second to last leg of his transport, he was in a crate in a car. Everything seemed fine. I had a crate in my car. He jumped into it like everything was fine. And I have a very strict protocol that I follow with my foster dogs. Their first week in my house, they are strictly on leash or in a crate. And that leash is in my hand 
where the dog is in a crate. I don't really even trust my family members <laughs> to, to do what needs to be done and to have their eyes on the dog and recognize all the little cues and know how to correctly redirect them. So Bud hung out on leash with us in the evening and then it came time for bed. <sighs> That's when everything came to light. He was in his crate for 0.5 seconds and attacked the crate door and the crate wall. And he made the most horrific sounds and made his gums bleed so fast. I was horrified. I could not believe what I was seeing. And I got him out as fast as I could. Like, wow, dude, you're not going to die. Everything's okay. It's just a crate. Mm. Literally the exact same crate that was in my car. Wow. So I'm instantly very confused. <laughs> um, and I wound up sleeping on the sofa with his leash around my ankle all night because my foster dogs don't get freedom in my house and everyone needed some sleep. So naturally, I started doing all of the normal separation anxiety protocol things, tossing food in the crate without closing the door, just praising him for walking in it, for acknowledging it. And then I asked him to sit in it. He was a smart dog. He had already had some form of obedience on him. He knew sit. He knew come. He walked great on a leash. He was a fabulous dog until he put him in a crate. So he started making progress, albeit slower than I was used to seeing with separation anxiety cases, but we'll roll with it and do what yeah. we can with him. And we got to the point where he could go in his crate, eat his meal, sit for maybe up to three minutes before the panting started. And at least, you know, we hit that point where it was just panting and not him instantly attacking the crate. So that's how much progress I was able to make with him in about three weeks when he got, he got fast adopters and we were transparent with them that he was having severe containment issues and separation issues because we had tried just leaving him in the laundry room. I won't describe the scene when we came home. It was not pretty. There were dents in the doorknob and well, I'll just say brown everywhere and it wasn't fur. You get the point. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> that didn't work. It wasn't a size issue. It was just containment in general. He wasn't okay with, except the car. Baffling. So he got adopted and I made sure that the owners knew he needed continued training with a certified trainer. Please find someone competent and knowledgeable. Please do not go to PetSmart. <laughs> You're not going to get the help you need there. Find a really knowledgeable trainer with separation anxiety. Lo and behold, things were going well, but I noticed in a dog trainers group on Facebook, another trainer talking about this weird German short-haired pointer. She just got in for training and how he's not normal. He's very smart, highly knowledgeable, panics in the crate, but will eat in the crate. And there were a few other things she said that just made me go, that's Bud. That's, <laughs> that's Bud. That's Bud. That sounds like Bud. That has to be Bud. So I commented, would this dog's name by chance be Bud? And, well, I'm impatient. The other trainer didn't get back super fast to me. So I clicked on their name and looked at their profile. And it was pretty locked down, but I found their business name. 
and they happen to be located in Troy, Ohio, which is very close to Beaver Creek, Ohio, where Bud had landed. So I commented a picture and I said, I would bet money that this is the dog that you're training right now. And she replied back shortly, oh, M, gosh, yes, that's him. How do you know this dog? And I said, well, all the good things he does, you're welcome. I did that. Um, (laughs) And everything else, I did the best I could in three weeks. I don't know what to tell you. He's different. And so Janet worked with the family for a while. And I know that Janet got in touch with Casey. And that's how I learned Casey's name was through Janet working with trying to get him moving along. And after quite a few months of diligent work and awkward progress, and when I say awkward progress, I'm saying this dog would take five steps forward and eight steps back. Yeah. And then three steps forward and one step back and two steps forward and five steps back. It just didn't make sense. All of the other separation anxiety cases I had worked with had moved along in a normal process and made continual progress, maybe little backslides if there was a family vacation or something, but not, not like what Bud was doing. Right. And it, it just didn't add up. And they wound up taking him to... A state university veterinary school who said that Bud would never be created and would never be alone and would never be normal. And he needed all these medications. And so the family tried that. And I guess it didn't go so great either. And uh, it turned into Janet and I working with Bud and Casey all together. Well, and I just want to say one Thing about that you had encountered me obliquely also through Chad Mackett that's right because of my Kona so my personal dog my Weimaraner Kona had developed the most crazy thunderstorm and firework phobia around her second or third year of life and I was at a loss at how to fix this not because I hadn't tried I worked with my mentor who trained me her mentor and several other highly skilled dog trainers and everything they told me to do solved my problem as a human. What my problem as a human was, was that my 60 pound dog that was pure solid bone and muscle was trying to sit on my shoulder like a parrot Uh during a thunderstorm. And that's just not working for me, you know? (laughs) So I could put her on place, which solved my problem, but she would sit on her place panting her brains out and quaking like a leaf. She was utterly terrified. So all the obedience, all the exercise, all the brain games, all the everything I did for her made zero difference in her fear. And I was not okay with her level of fear. I wanted more for my dog. So your priority was to get her off your shoulder, but your goal was for her to be healed, not just more convenient for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't enough that my problem was solved. I wanted to solve her problem. It just, it broke my heart to see her struggle so much during thunderstorms and fireworks season. We had to put her in boarding three days, July 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Every year we had to put her in boarding and on Valium. Otherwise she would get just explosive diarrhea. It was horrific. So I had stumbled across a video of Chad Mack and working with an Aussie, teaching it how to make its eyes easy. 
And if you've never met a Weimaraner, they tend to have a deer in the headlights look. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, I'll try that with Kona on the boat where she struggled to relax because it was a very exciting place for her. We wanted her to be a fun lake dog and she was, but she never wanted the fun to stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sometimes we humans want to eat some food and stop playing fetch for a minute. Anyway, um, I got her relaxed just from that little bit of teaching her an easy eye. And it was the first time in five years she relaxed on the boat. Wow. Yeah. And so I took a picture and I shared it with Chad Mackin. I attended several of his seminars trying to get more help for Kona and they helped a lot. I'm going to say they helped a lot, but they still didn't fix the phobias or the barking at the birds as much as I wanted to have that fixed. Anyway, um, (laughs) there was still just a missing piece of the puzzle and I figured out that it was perception modification for sure. So anyway, I tagged Chad and Chad tagged you. And he said, this is the dog I was telling you about. Mm. And I remember this very clearly. You replied, doesn't look like it. He replied, that's what I'm saying. And then you tagged me and said, Angela, we need to talk. And so we did. Yeah. And we did need to talk. We did need to talk. And I started your class almost right away, your online class. So I worked on that that summer. And then when, oh, well, first you got to tell people what was the outcome? How long did did Kona ever get relief? Did Kona ever get relief? Before I was even done with the two six-week online classes, I don't know how you structure things now, if it's the same or not, but it was two six-week classes. Now it's 210. Okay. Probably even better then. But before I was even done with that, we were over the fireworks, not to the degree that she wanted to be outside and look at them. And I'm fine with that. I don't have that expectation of my dogs. Yeah. And she was fine with thunderstorms during the day. We were still working on evening thunderstorms and nighttime thunderstorms wouldn't happen for a while because I value my sleep. (laughs) But eventually we were even able to address nighttime like middle of the night, dead silent, dark house thunderstorms are very different than the middle of the day thunderstorms to it. Trust me, Kona would tell you. (laughs) Um, And we hit the point where, where we started was it would take her an entire hour after the last audible rumble of thunder before she would put a single paw out the door. It could be bright and sunny. 20 minutes after the storm, but she's like, nope, hasn't been an hour. I'm not doing it. Absolutely would refuse. Fast forward to after we got to work on all of it, she could be in the yard when there was a thunderstorm a county or two away that we could hear, we could see, but it wasn't raining at our house. And she would just sniff around the yard. It thunder. She'd look up. I'd say, yep, there's some thunder. She'd continue with sniffing around the yard. Wow. No big deal. It was nothing. And it choked me up until, well, nope, it still does. And she lived to be 14 and a half years old. Yay. And we just lost her last summer. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So how old was she when you solved that problem with her? Six. Wow. We got eight fabulous 
fear-free years. Yay. Yep. It was. Gives me chills. It gives me chills, you know, um, and I've been able to help so many other dogs solve their thunderstorm and firework and other noise phobias. And it's, it chokes me up to see them just okay. You know, it's not, it's not just obedience. It's not just training. It's helping that dog on an emotional level, be comfortable with things they were previously not comfortable with. It's so powerful. They were, they're not comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And it's just, well, I I often say to people, um, perception modification training is Mm -hmm dull and boring. It's like watching paint dry or grass stroke. There's nothing sexy about it except for the fact that you saved an animal's life and gave it back a good life. Yeah. Because a lot of these animals are on the way to death. And if they weren't on the way to death, they still wouldn't have a life worth living. Yeah. And by coming in here and doing this work, that is not ego gratifying, but is so fundamentally necessary. So I get, you know what? It's like, you know how nobody that does really important work gets good payment? Like police officers, firemen, teachers, nurses, they don't get paid anything practically. And they're the ones that are saving people's lives. And Finally, it hit me that when you're doing something that spiritually is saving your soul, you don't necessarily get financial money from it. You get a totally different kind of currency. So I don't mean to go off the deep end with folks, but yeah, watching your expression, feeling the chills up my spine because when you were when you are actually the person that helps to um set an animal free from that kind of misery it's like oh my gosh that's moving it is it's it's very moving very rewarding and very emotional yeah yeah we need more people out there doing it because there's a a lot of dogs there's we're not jealous of you come Look, I can't do all of them. Okay. I need help out here, people. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you already heard she had to sleep on the sofa with a thing on her ankle. So (laughs) your part. I did. So I don't regret that. Well, and also Angela, during the time that you were taking the course, you, you did your dog as your course project. You were learning. Yes. It's not like you were an expert. You got this all done while you were also grappling with all the different things. Before we go back to Bud, can you remember what you thought? So, So here's the thing that comes to my mind a lot. There are so many people that say things like, you can't solve that problem. Separation anxiety. Somebody that's promoted themselves as separation anxiety expert, then said, published on the internet, that she felt sorry for people that had dogs with separation anxiety because they would work for weeks, months, maybe years before they saw any progress. 
we expect it to resolve in the same average of 15 hours as everything else. Looking back, do you have any idea of why this approach is so unique and like nobody's happening into it and they have a hard time even believing that it can be so effective. Do you have an opinion on that? I have a lot of opinions on that. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I remember when I started, I thought it was weird. <laughs> well, we can't discuss. Yeah, it could be. I thought it was weird. And I remember my husband looking at me after he's seen me do all the things I've tried to help Kona. He looks at me and he goes, do you really think this is a thing that's going to help that dog? Mm. And like a stubborn child, I stomped <laughs> my foot and I went, yes. And I turned around and I stormed off. And I thought, because if I don't believe it, it's never going to happen. Yeah. That right there. First of all, you have to believe it's possible. And we and even, even if you don't think it's possible to fix the problem, what if you could just make it a little better? Isn't that enough? Isn't that worth the try? If you could just make it a little better. Well, then what if you could make it a little bit more better? And then what if you could make it a little bit more better? And I've got another case study sitting in my living room of this exact situation right now. Mm one of the most human fearful dogs that wasn't feral, to be clear, he was not a feral dog, but he was a very human fearful dog. Now choosing to greet complete strangers. Wow, good for you. And five years, five years. Wow. I don't give up on him. I don't give up on any of my dogs or any of my clients' dogs. Well, and this is a recurrent theme too, because one of our um, outstanding trainers is Michelle Bobrowski. She came to SATS when her Malinois was six years old with a long history of being hyper aroused and unsafe with others. And she had been uh, raised in a breeding farm situation. So she was two years old when Michelle got her. Michelle had done a lot of good stuff with her. One month into SATS, Michelle has pictures. She's learning for the first time also. She's got pictures of her son just sidling up to her dog when she's working her on the middle of the floor, hunching down and playing with his dogs, uh, his toys. And Michelle saying, Isaiah will stay there if you can stay easy. <gasps> and she got easy. Yeah. And it's like six years over and over again. We are helping dogs that, you know, this isn't, the first time we knew they had this problem they have a long standing history yep and dogs okay, with so, severe trauma so people just generally don't think it's gonna work because what nothing else has worked or it sounds weird or both did you even know what it sounded like at that point you didn't really know the technique then you but i was i was willing to try anything to help my dog for one thing yeah but then as we started getting into it I realized there's a lot of conversation going on here and so many trainers are telling their clients to shut up yeah you talk too much no I don't I don't I never agreed with that and I agree with it even less now 
we do need to talk to our dogs, but we need to be giving them information that's relevant or relevant feedback. Yeah. Don't babble at your dogs. Don't be repetitive, but give them relevant information and relevant feedback and give them a lot of it. Say that again. As if they were actually thinking beings. Yes. Like, what would you want to know in this situation? Exactly. And then when we got to the part about giving our dogs choices, (laughs) well, they're not children. (laughs) You know, I can't can't give my dog a choice. They're not going to make the right one. Oh, okay. But we manipulate the choices to encourage them to make the right one. (laughs) Okay. And yeah, diabolical. I mean, it is diabolical. And I did it a lot with Bud. I did it a lot with Bud. And for the, for the naysayers, I'm like, if you were there to see it, (laughs) you know, he knew exactly what I was saying to him. Yeah. You would know he knew exactly what his choices were and exactly what the consequences were. And to be clear, consequences aren't always bad. If he did the thing that I wanted him to do, he got a positive consequence. But if you go to your crate and get easy, I'll throw your ball five times. Well, Well, when we get to the end of the bud story, you've got to tell about that choice. So I I want to make sure we don't gloss over. Yeah. Yeah. So. So Virginia. So, yeah. So you, you. Your husband, we owe him a debt of gratitude. Oh, yeah. He just like ensured that you were going to be successful on this. And before that, you had um, Chad's good opinion, and we all love Chad. And you had tried it enough to know that it worked for Kona. And that was a challenging case. And then you said, Virginia, you got to tell us more about how you and Janet connected. So Janet and I connected through that Facebook group and she kept me updated on Bud an awful lot. And then you and I started talking and Bud came up in conversation somehow. I don't remember remember exactly how it happened, but I remember somebody like maybe Janet contacted me because at that moment, I didn't yeah. realize you guys were already in contact. And right. came to me wanting to, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, um, work on Bud. And I remember saying, you know, we have a certified trainer. No, you weren't certified yet. We have a SATS trainer up there and she's coming down to work with me is it possible you guys to do it together mm-hmm. yes boy yeah that gives you chills it's like universe had a role in this it sure did there's zero doubt in my mind about that it was it was in the stars it was meant to happen so yeah janet and i what what had happened was bud's family had kind of hit a wall with him and they were like okay this isn't progressing the way that we feel like it should and we feel trapped we feel prisoners in our own home because of this dog and I don't fault them for feeling that way because I felt that way with him as well 
Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and it's heartbreaking. And they were like, we we've done what we're supposed to do and he's still stuck here. And what they wanted was for him to be able to be created alone for 40 minutes. And we had to have that done by the time we were leaving Virginia. Otherwise they couldn't take him back. And I, again, I do not blame them. They yeah. loved him so much and they did everything right but they're not professional trainers. And this was an awful lot of dog to put on a regular family. Yeah. We just didn't know. We just didn't know at the time he made progress in those first three weeks. He made good progress in those first three weeks. I was super hopeful for him. So he went back to Janet and then Janet and I and Kona and one of Janet's dogs all came down to Virginia. And boy, did we get in some nitty gritty. And you Mm -hmm. Uh, and you picked up Rocky for me. We did. Yes. And Rocky is another one of those same group. Rocky has been a working dog at so many seminars. And he's like, but um, he wasn't normal. Yeah. Now he's a good dog. He deserves a good life. We love him dearly. He's still going strong. But he, he's one of the dogs that never really reversed his issues but he's with me and I can manage him and and we love him and he's a great dog and he's got a great life and so you guys were like the train for dog whatever dog rescue or dog life (laughs) preservation right transport that too yeah okay so keep going so while we while we were there in Virginia, we worked really, really hard on his crating. And that was when we started using more if-then statements. This was, and again, I don't know how much Janet had done this with him before we were together. I can't speak to that time frame. Yeah. But Bud's favorite thing in the whole wide world is the ball. So that's where we got the clever idea of negotiating with him he would bring us the ball saying hey I want to play oh you want to play well tell you what why don't you go in that crate and get easy for the count of five one two three four five like that and then I'll throw the ball for you three times for example and so Bud would run into that crate and lay down but he'd lay down like (laughs) and we'd be like no sir you need to actually get easy And he had to work himself through that. At this point, he knew how to get easy. We didn't need to do the hands-on help for him. He could do it. So we would sit there and tell him, bud, you need to get easy. That's not easy. You're still alert. You need to get easy. And he'd yawn and he'd sigh and he'd lay himself over and soften those eyes and relax those ears and get himself easy. And as soon as we said, yes, <laughs> boom, he was up. And we're like, no, no, we said for five. All I said was, yes, <laughs> it's got to be yes. One, one, two, three, four, five. Try again, sir. And he would, <sighs> he talked back. Yep. So then he'd do it and we'd praise him and release him and then throw the ball for him and do it again and do it again, and then ask for more from him. Let's do it for the count of seven. Let's do it for the count of 10, and so on. And then it was, we'd leave the apartment for 
whatever, the count of five or the count of 10 and pop back in. And if he was still easy when we came back in, then we would throw the ball for him or take him for a walk. He loved walks too. And, and so, may I say that you were staying yeah. at Shay Casey Covert, one block from the yes. beach, conveniently yes. provided with front and rear exits and lots of windows and a fence backyard. So you could be particularly sneaky. Mm-hmm sneaking in and out and all around with doing this kind of training. And yeah. not only did you guys make good use of it, <coughs> but you were like SEAL team. You went out and got walkie-talkies and baby monitors. Yeah, we had a video baby monitor. So don't forget. Yep, to we use that video baby monitor a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that was a little bit of the next fun bit with the in and out of going, like going in and out of doors. Cause we would go out one door and come in a different door oh. or we'd both go out the same door and then each come in a different door. We did all kinds of different things, just trying to help him get over people walking out the door. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the world. You're not going to die yeah, because you're in a crate. It's going to be okay, kiddo. So And it ties in with a lot of the normal separation anxiety protocols that you're going to do. But now you're doing them in the form of perception modification with the if-then statements and bridging and making sure the the dog understands their choices. So we used the baby monitor and we also did, there was an evening that was cool enough. We were able to go out to dinner and leave him in a crate in the van with the video baby monitor so we could talk to him as soon as he started to get himself unrelaxed in that van we could push the button and talk to him through the baby monitor and tell him he need to get easy and it it was funny because he was just like where are they (laughs) he was very confused (laughs) the van is watching you bud yeah right yeah It's been a while ago, so forgive me if I can't quite remember everything that we did, but it was a lot. No, it and was a lot because one of the honest it was a lot. You had to you had to be like you choreographed everything you did. Yep. Every sleep, every action with the dogs, every action if you went out the door, stayed in the door, because you still had to get things done like eating and groceries and yep. you know, various things like that. And everything had to be, it's not just that you had to do it and make sure that nothing bad happened. You had to keep advancing your goals within the context of living real life. And yes. with, at that time, that was very complicated. Yes. Plus, we were trying to help Kona and Janet's dog. <laughs> so we had a lot going on. Oh, and did I mention we were getting our certifications during this? Oh, yeah, training? there was that, right. <laughs> there was that. So we had to do a lot of studying with each other as well. But one of the really pivotal moments for Bud, I think, didn't actually have anything to do with being left alone or being in a crate. There was a very severe thunderstorm that rolled through while we were there to the point that we were almost needing to evacuate the apartment due to flooding on the coast. Do you remember that, Casey? Well, let me just say it's not a rare occurrence here. 
Yeah, man, it was extreme, wasn't it? It was. So on top of all of Bud's other problems, he had a severe thunderstorm phobia. That you just knew, you just found out. Hey, cool. <laughs> so Let's Janet and I worked on Bud through the whole thunderstorm. And when I say through the whole thunderstorm, I mean we had to trade back and forth because we were both getting physically exhausted doing the conditioned relaxation with him, trying to get him to calm down during the storm. And then lo and behold, right towards the end of the storm, he fell asleep. Mission accomplished. Absolutely. Mission accomplished. A note here. If you haven't worked with bird dogs in particular, um, and it could be all dogs, but it just so happens that I also have worked a lot with bird dogs. They are so incredibly muscular and so incredibly able and willing to hold a hard intent that it is exhausting to physically lead them through relaxation. I remember another German short hair pointer that was led through by another um, SATS trainer. And it took him two hours to get his dog to relax. And once he finally got it to relax, it took him half an hour to solve the problem of arousal with another intact male. But it took him two hours to make sure that that dog understood and was able to affect self-relaxation. Turning it back over to you, I'm loving this story. Yeah, yeah. So I think after the thunderstorm situation, the benefit that we had out of that was the remarkable amount Bud had for Janet and I because we helped him through that. So he says, if you can help me through that, maybe I can get over this crate thing. But hmm. <laughs> needless to say, um, we didn't get him the 40 minutes by the end of our trip to Virginia. So Bud went home with Janet with the agreement that when my current foster dog that I had at the time was adopted, Bud would come and stay with me. I didn't ask for permission from my husband <laughs> I warned him that this was a possibility and he went okay and I ran with that because so when I informed him that Bud was coming if he countered you you were yeah. going to get two dogs so there so when I informed him that Bud was coming to stay with us again he was very unhappy with me I kept trying to tell him that Bud is different now he's made a lot of progress Yes, he's still struggling, but compared to where he was the first time we had him, he was a completely different dog. Oh, so your husband was particularly sensitized because of his experience. Okay, I didn't realize yeah. that. Those first three weeks we had with him, I, as, as a professional dog trainer, I can't even tell you how many times that dog made me cry. Mm. Mm. And he was a very, he's such a sweet endearing personality it's hard to be mad at him but oh my goodness mm -hmm. <laughs> living with a dog with severe separation anxiety is not for the faint of heart yeah it's just not and so 
that's where my husband's brain was stuck. And I'm like, that's not the same dog anymore. I promise. And I said, give him a week. If after a week, you're just not having it, Janet will take him back. And he said, okay. And by the end of the week, he was going, wow, he is a different dog. Wow, he is doing so much better. So, yay. But (sighs) there was still frustrations. Yeah, like he wasn't totally healed. No, not even close. He didn't get, yeah, he didn't buy himself out of an opportunity. Okay, good. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I just continued doing all the same things that we had been doing. And that was going great until it wasn't. And we hit a wall and there was no more progress. He just stopped. And I think we were at about half an hour in the crate. And he just tanked on me. And I'm like, confused. I don't know what to do at this point. We had tried putting plexiglass on the inside of his crate door. He still managed somehow to chew it off and get out of the crate and made a mess and ended our Thanksgiving with family early because we were watching him on security cameras at home. And I was like, buds out, we got to go. Because when he hits the point of escaping the crate, his anxiety is already so high. He's not the same good boy anymore. <laughs> and it yeah. was, uh-huh. I had um, just tossed a plant I had accidentally murdered into the trash and bud had knocked over the trash and then knocked the tea kettle off of the stove and made mud in my kitchen from the soil. Yeah. And I'm just like, I racked my brain for a little while. And then I got the clever idea of if you can't be alone in the house, then I will take you everywhere with me. I bought him a coat. I put blankets in the car. I strapped his crate in the car. I put blankets over the crate. And I said, you get to see every boring place I go every day. When I go grocery shopping, you can sit in the car. When I go to the restaurant, you can sit in the car. If I have to go to the doctor, guess what? You'll sit in the car. And if it's too cold, I'll send you off with someone else. Because what we had developed was a network of Bud sitters <laughs> because literally everyone loved this dog. He was very sweet. He didn't know a stranger. He loved to be petted. He will play fetch with anyone. He will listen to obedience commands from absolutely anyone. He was a wonderful dog, which is why he got to survive through all of these yeah, issues, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> so this was January. And if it was too cold, then I obviously would leave him with the bud sitter, but every other thing he went everywhere with us. And at the restaurants, I would make him a deal. He was a pretty food motivated dog as well. So I would tell him, we're going to go in this restaurant and eat. If you are quiet, I will bring you some food. But if you are barking, you get no food. And so we would exit the restaurant and just stand at the door and listen. And I would always save something, a couple of French fries, a little chunk of hamburger, a roll, like a dinner roll or something. I would always save something. And when I got to the car, if he had been quiet, I would open the magic box and give him the food and praise him for being quiet while we were in the restaurant. You were such a good, quiet boy in your crate. Here's a treat. 
But if he was barking, I would eat that food in front of him yes. and remind him, you were barking. I told you to be quiet. This is my food now. I That's the it. negative consequence. And it. you could see it on his face. The ears are just, mm, but, but I'm like, next time you'll be quiet, won't you? It and he figured to have her standards. Right. And he started to figure it out. And this went on for four and a half months. Bud went everywhere with me. And just about the time that it was getting too warm to leave him in the car, we had a perception modification certification boot camp in my hometown of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was already certified. So this is an excellent time for me to pick up little refreshers and focus on this dog. Yeah. Because now I have unlimited time to practice with him being in his crate with the best support system possible available to help me through this situation. So here's what I did. On day one, I put a little cot big enough for him to be comfortably circled up and laying down on all the way on the opposite side of the training room. And I back tied him to the very heavy metal and glass door, like one of the just, you know, an entry door to a business, right? Yeah. So we back tied him to that and he got to sit there through day one. Um, obviously he got potty breaks and all that kind of stuff. When we took a break, he got a break and then he would go back on that, on that cot. So that was setting him up for day two, where I took his crate out of the car, the same one he'd been in, in the car for four and a half months. And I put it right next to my chair and I gave Bud a choice. I said, you can sit right next to me and go in your kennel. He looked at the kennel. I said, or you can go back in the corner and sit on your place. And he looked at the place and he looked at the crate and he looked at me and he sat down. He said, I don't like other of those choices at all. No, thank you. And I said, oh, okay. So you want to go to your place? And he ran in the crate. Uh-huh. Mm, mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's like, oh, you do want to sit right next to me. Okay, cool. Good choice. So that's part of manipulating the choices to make yeah. him want that thing. He would rather be closer to me. I knew that. I was well, his person. And that's what you get with a dog with separation anxiety. They pick their person. I was his person. But you know, the other thing that you did by doing that is you made it clear to him that you understood. It's not that he had to be more extreme in his behavior so that you would see he didn't want you to be away from him. Right. When you gave him the choices, you clearly said, look, I know you want to be here. So here are the terms. Yep. And I think one of the reasons the two-way communication is so, or the, the even the one-way communication is so valuable is because it removes the uncertainty on the animal side. Gee, is she too dumb to realize that what I want is? No, she's not dumb at all. She wants you to know that here are the terms. Yep. So yep. the other thing that we did, this was Casey's idea, and I thank you so much for it. 
because I had treats to offer Bud for choosing to be in the crate, and Casey suggests that I deliver the treats in the back of the crate to take his attention off the door, because otherwise he would sit there and whine and lick the door and lick the door and whine and lick the door obsessively, which obviously I wouldn't allow that to happen if I'm sitting right there and I could see it happen. But delivering the food through the back of the crate took his attention off of the door, which was good. On day two, I shoved that crate about five feet away from me and he spent all day in there. I guess that was day three. Sorry. On day four, he was probably 15 or 20 feet away from me in the crate, but we were still in the same large open training room on day five. That's when I put him back in the kennel room for the first time, out of sight, in the crate, out of sight, not in the car. Wow. And there was very minimal whining and very minimal door licking. Not once did anyone hear the door shake, which means he never grabbed it, which is very good. (laughs) Um, He wasn't covered in drool, which is what would previously have happened if he spent that amount of time in a crate. He was in there all day, aside from breaks to go outside and go potty and eat lunch or whatever. Um, And that, that was his turning point. Wow. At that point, we were able to start creating him for up to four hours at a time at home alone. And we had times, uh, if we were going to be gone for a shorter amount of time, we would leave him free in the house and we'd watch him on a security camera and he would just go lay on the recliner. And that was one of the pictures that Casey shared on Facebook just a couple of days ago. It was that memory of, wow, look at him. And yeah, that would have been after the workshop time. Wow. So (laughs) that's how pivotal it was to drag him everywhere with me, force him to be in that crate in the car, teach him how to be calm in the crate in the car, and then move that crate out of the car, but with me close by to help just slowly build his security in it. And then we were able to gradually build on that some more. And there is one, one other little funny story before, I think it was probably... March or April, because I started the crating in the car and go everywhere with me in January. And then we had the workshop in May. So it was March or April. I was getting ready to leave and I walked out into the garage and I opened the car door and then I opened the crate door and I told Bud to load up just like we did every day. And this little stinker jumps in the footwell. He said, no, ma'am, I'd rather not. And I looked at him. I said, excuse me, sir, (laughs) kennel. He got out of the car and he went back to the door to go into the house. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, okay, did you want to go back in the house and go inside? And his little nub tail starts wagging. Okay. You can go in the house. You're allowed to go back inside and the tail starts wagging faster. And I said, but you're going to go in your kennel and I'm leaving. You'll be all alone. As soon as I said alone, his tail stopped. He turned on his heels, sprinted through the garage and jumped into that crate. Oh, well, that's a good choice, bud. You thought silly dog. Wow. So he's like, he's just as diabolical as you are. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, that's the power of being able to have those conversations with your dog. Yeah. He knew exactly what those words meant. 
we had reinforced being alone many, many times. So in the words, obviously crate and leaving. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, another thing that you did when you took them every place with you, maybe dogs have a fantasy, which is true in the case of, if you go to a restaurant that you're leaving them behind because you're doing all the really neat stuff, but for the rest of life, not that neat. It's not that neat. You want to be there without your air conditioning and without your recliner chair. Okay, buddy. But you're still going to be in a crate. Yep. For my three hour MRI. How'd that work out for you, bud? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Loads of fun. (laughs) You get to do all the fun things. Oh, shoot. But um, in the end, he never really got more than four hours in the crate. So he was never that complete fix like Kona was, but the progress that he made, made him adoptable. (laughs) And that was our goal. Yes. And we were having such a hard time finding the right family for him. I was beginning to resign myself to the fact that he was going to be ours forever. And we had our bud sitters. We had our network. We had everything figured out. We had figured out how to make it work. And he loved boating with us. He loved going to Lowe's with me. Any dog-friendly store that he could go with me in, that's where we went. If I needed hardware when we had Bud, I went to Lowe's because Lowe's allows dogs. If I needed a book, I went to half-priced books because they allow dogs. Right, okay. I tried to include him as much as I could. And to be honest, if I had needed a service dog, I would have just service dog trained him. But I didn't have a need that would have been unethical. So I didn't do that. But... We found a retired couple. (laughs) This is another really serendipitous thing. I don't know that you even heard all of the details about what happened with him. No, and I'm looking forward to it. But what I want to say is you shared with me an exceptional young person who wanted to do an internship. And um, she came down to work with me and she was fantastic. And so she knew all this stuff also when she went home. In other words, her family ends up adopting Bud. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It's another mind boggling coincidence. What are the odds that (laughs) Janet would happen to connect over the same crazy dog that you would all come down to me, that we would all end up in Indianapolis that you would send me an intern, that the intern would go and take over from you with her grandparents with Bud. So I'm still grappling with why. Like, I feel like we were supposed to do more and we better get it done because that was a lot of stuff coming together over Bud. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And what's fun is that... um Ted, which would be the male adopter of Bud and his wife, Betty. Um, Ted had actually Bud sat for us before, but he did so at his daughter's house, not at their own house, because they had a cat and we had never cat tested Bud. We don't have cats. I don't know people with cats. So I didn't know how he was with cats. And then we had one potential adopter who had a cat and we took Bud over to meet them. And Bud was very interested in the cat when the cat was running, because that's fun to chase. And then when the cat would stop, 
Bud stopped and he just stared at the cat. Like, would you run again? That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. But he didn't pick. Please act like a prey animal. Yeah. But he didn't bite at it or poke it or touch it. He just stood there and stared at it. Like, you going to do that again? I'm getting bored. I'm going to go get pets from this human over here. And he'd just walk away. So I was talking to Ted's daughter, Heather, and had mentioned that we don't think it's going to work out, but Bud did great with the cat. And she went, I got to go and hung up on me. Huh. And I'm like, okay, that was, that was weird. Then she called me back about five minutes later. My parents want Bud. What? She goes, they've loved him forever, but didn't think he'd be good with cats. They have a cat. Now that we know he's good with cats, they want Bud. <laughs> That's oh, crazy. Okay. So. So as out- you said that was like, okay, mission from God. Let me confirm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So. It was not normal for the rescue group to do trial weekends with the dog, but Bud was not a normal dog. So we made an exception. And when I took Bud over to spend the weekend with Ted and Betty, they had already bought him a bed and a bunch of toys and a crate and a bowls and all this stuff. They were determined that's their dog. Yeah. Wow. And they were getting ready to go on vacation. So actually they were going down to Virginia. So I took Bud back, but I met them over at Heather's house to get Bud back. And if you know dogs with separation anxiety, they are attached to one person. One person is their person. They're going to love other people, but they have one person. Pretty much all of them are like that. Um, Ted had forgotten something in the car and he, we were eating lunch together. So he got up. And went to the door and Bud followed him. And I instantly went, what did you say to him? Uh, he left my side to follow Ted. I said, what did you say to him? And they said, we told him he's our dog. And I'm like, well, he heard you. And he agrees. He just told wow. me. And <clears throat> it was funny because the rescue group, when I had first started fostering dogs, told me the dog will always tell you. And I didn't believe him at the time, <laughs> but I saw it over and over and over and over again. And yeah. I saw one dog say, nope, not you. And I said, okay, nope, not you. <laughs> yeah. And then that dog very clearly said yes to the next person. So I, you learn what that looks like. Yeah. But for Bud to choose to follow someone other than me was just unheard of at this point. And so I knew. And he was impeccably well-trained. I want to be clear on that. When I went to drop him off at their house for the final adoption day, it's done. It's a sealed deal. The papers are signed. He's not coming home with me. They had a very steep driveway, the kind of driveway you always use your emergency brake on. And Bud knew to wait in the car for me to clip on the leash and give him the magical release word to come out of the car. But when I pulled in that driveway and I popped open my front door and I leaned forward to engage the emergency brake, this dog jumped on the center console over my back, out the door and ran straight up to their front door and put his nose on the door and stood there. And when I finally walked up, he looked over his shoulder like, what took you so long? I'm home. Let me in. 
Mm-mm-mm. And I let him in and he went and laid down on Ted's feet. And I was just like, what's home? I don't need to worry about him ever again. And luckily I still got to see him. He was local and, um, you know, we'd have visits now and then up until he passed away. So he had a happy life. Finally, he found his family and had such a happy end of life. And that's all I could have ever wanted for him. Wow. And what a great group. What is that the trip to Virginia that Ted and Betty made to come down and see Brianna? And yep. oh, that's just so wild. Yeah. I remember another story that you told me of when Bud was initially, there was some point where they had, I think they had come to your house and they were going to take him. And you told him that he had a choice that he could stay with you or he could go with them. And he came back. And just like said this really touching thank you where he just came back and, you know, laid his head on your hand for a minute and breathed in and out and then looked at you in the face and then resolutely turned around and left. That was a different foster dog. Oh, that was a different one? Yeah. Wow. But that was another super clear. The dog thanked me for helping him and went with his new owner and never looked back. I, I thought that was a bud story. You were just Mm -hmm. telling me that story to explain. Yeah. Knowing. Okay. I understand now. Yeah. yeah, Buds was following Ted and then running up to that door before I had ever even had an opportunity to put a leash on him. And I was just like, what are you doing? Thinking he's just going to take off, chase some rabbit or something. No, he was up at that door. Like woman, hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to become a bud sitter for them. And I shared our whole bud sitter network. Um, all of my bud sitters were so sad when I told them he was being adopted, just heartbroken. And I said, well, he's saying local, would you like to continue to be a bud sitter for the new owners? And they were like, yes, please. I love <laughs> Oh yeah. Everybody loved bud. You know, this is a big part of the way we do animals here. Like, we're bringing our horses home, but we love the stable. And we talk to them about if we need to bring the horses back for something, we'd like to come back here. And then there's other people at the stable and they're coming here to help bring the horses here and so on and so forth. With our dogs, my dogs would go and stay with my mother and her dog would come and stay with me and just have night outs because you never know if something would to be to suddenly happen to you, you don't want your animal to be terrified and all upset. You want him to go, Oh, it's another night out. Yeah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. It's really important. It is. Wow. So then he lived to be 14, 12, 12. I'm sorry. I okay. Got- Kona was 14. That may be where I got that. Yeah. So in addition, how long was it before he was off meds? Oh, I, I got him off meds. Well, how long was that? 
because he went on meds in between being adopted the first time and then coming back to Janet and I. That was when they went to the vet school and got him on the medications, which made zero difference. So then I'm trying to remember if Janet had him completely weaned off by the time he came back to me or if I had to finish. Well, I know you made don't a lot remember. of progress while you were down here. We did. On that. And I think I in no way I'm disrespecting the possible benefits of meds, but we often don't see benefits. We didn't. And so it's important, you know, all meds need to be monitored. Yeah. And there's toxicities and side effects and you know, all kinds of things, especially when you get into multiple. So one of the things we see over and over again is whether or not meds might benefit a dog on a particular basis, maybe make them feel nicer or more comfortable or something else. I often find they don't have a strategic advantage for fixing the behavior problem. So there was a dog that um, was an obsessive compulsive tail chaser. And she corrected uh, without any meds, you know? And that's something that a lot of people have the idea that the only way you could ever get a dog like that to stop chasing its tail is if you medicated it. And that wasn't the case at all with any of the dogs that we have helped with that particular problem, there has been no uh, assistance from meds. I had a similar one, except uh, instead of chasing her tail, she orbited the kitchen table over and over, round and round, faster and faster, faster and faster, crazier and crazier. Um, Fix that in a lesson with perception modification. And then I had a lady who reached out to me. One lesson? Yeah. Was it a five-minute problem? <laughs> no. Jeez. But she, some dogs I find, I'm sure you've had a similar experience. Some dogs kind of fight the relaxation a little bit. Like, this is scary. Yeah. I, I don't know what lies on the other side of my anxiety or whatever. Right. And some dogs just go, oh, my God, what are you doing? I want more. Keep yeah. doing that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And she was one of those dogs. She wanted it. And I was able to start addressing the table orbiting right then and there. And then the owners, the owners still had to work with her a bit after I left, but they didn't need another lesson. They already had all the information they needed to fix this problem. And they had her fixed in about two weeks, I think, which is fantastic. Yeah, we love that. I had, um, I did have a case that I completely resolved in one lesson, and this was a husky. She was eight, and her mom had just recently been, or owner, whatever, had just recently been diagnosed with, um, well, not diagnosed, she'd been diagnosed with diabetes, but they had recently given her an insulin pump. And the beeping of the insulin pump terrified her dog. Oh. And her dog then generalized to the beeping on the microwave. So then every time she used the microwave, the dog became terrified. 
but she called me in tears and she says, my dog won't come anywhere near me anymore. She's terrified of me. I can't turn the beeping off. I could die. I don't know what to do. And I said, I know what to do. (laughs) So I started talking to her about perception modification and she decided to hire me. And in literally one lesson, we had that dog snuggling with her owner again. Wow. And then she was in tears again and thanked me. And of course, you're welcome. This is, this is what I live for. (laughs) These are the cases I love being able to help dogs like that. And, um, it's not been good for my bottom line to be so good (laughs) at teaching it because I have too too many cases that I was able to fix in one lesson or two lessons. And, you know, here's the thing. You got to start looking at your business differently. I do. You're right. You You don't sell by the hour. You sell by the solution. That could be a great idea for me. Thank you. But also on the flip side, I don't regret it because I love helping these dogs and I love helping the people. And you've got to have integrity. Yeah. And here's the other thing. I have had a series of people that have come back to me and said, well, now that I trained this way, you know, for example, for regular obedience and so on for using bridge and target. Now my six week or my eight week obedience course, I'm getting it done in less than two weeks. What do I do now? And I go now, go ahead and keep it eight weeks, but do all this fun stuff, do the stuff you promised them right away and then teach their dogs to find things, to do other skills, to play hide and go seek. and um have a good time yeah what happens again and again is the people turn into the dog trainer's dream which is the repeat client who's the excellent trainer owner because they want the guidance and the you know help setting things up Like one of the things I'm constantly saying to trainers who are certified in perception modification, set up cycle workshops because you know how to do it. Yeah. You can get all the distractions in one place, or you can get everybody to a safe place, maybe a, you know, big fenced in schoolyard or something like that and have somebody driving the vehicles Mm -hmm. to teach dogs to look both ways before they cross, to stop on a dime. So what I did, dogs like Bud, and almost all my dogs, that chase a ball like it's a living being and they've got to catch it, I wanted to make sure that they would stay aware of the environment. So I set it up with somebody to drive a car And then I'd do some training ahead of time to teach them to stop on a dime, but then do it in real life and set it up. And the person slams on the brake, honks the horn, and all of a sudden the dog goes, oh, that's why. (laughs) And it's like, yes, that's why. You need need to get to that that's why moment. Whether it's by bringing the food out from the restaurant and eating it in front of the dog, if he didn't do his part of the deal or slamming on the brakes or whatever there it has to make sense 
for the dog. Yeah. Gosh, what a great, well, it's more than a story. It's like, you know, a, a path, a, a just a turn in your path that's taken you. And bird dogs, to begin with, are challenging. And you do them over and over and over again. And all these other dogs, what words of wisdom do you have or just experience even for other trainers that, you know, like, I don't even know. I don't even know from your perspective when trainers see this option for solving problems, what they're likely to think. Like what's going to make them hesitant to do this? Because from my perspective, I just see success. Like our failures, first of all, like with Rocky, are just partial failures. We still have a lot of success. Sure. And they're less than three in a hundred of the difficult dogs. So I see nothing but success. And I'm like, well, what's not to love? I don't don't care if you were just supposed to color your hair purple. If it was that successful, oh, wait a minute. You did used to color your hair purple. It still is purple. It's just a little hard to tell in the lighting. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad some things are dependable. But I wasn't thinking (laughs) about that when I said that. I don't want people to think that that's what you do to solve all these problems since I mentioned it. Okay, go ahead. Words of wisdom. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm unprepared for this question. Well, um, anything from your experience with training and, you know, like um, you, you've talked about a lot of aha moments, but also you were ready for it. You, you're more ready for it than a lot of people. Do you know why you were more ready for it? Because I wanted it for my dog. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my ego. It wasn't about obedience or what I had to prove to anyone else. Yeah. I wanted my dog to feel better, period. That's it. It broke my heart to see her struggle. And I, I just wasn't okay with it. And I kept pushing through all the different things that the world of dog training has to offer us until I found perception modification. And guess what, Chad, that was the thing that finally fixed that dog. Wow. Wow. You know, and, and not just her, but so many others. And even if it didn't fix all of the problems, it made them manageable and livable. Yeah. What both people and the dogs. What do you think about like, I come up with the average of 15 hours to solve a single problem. And I came up with that because of two things. The time at uh, that it took us at Woodgreen. So Woodgreen had 29 animals that were going to be euthanized. They gave them a two-week reprieve to work on sats. All but two of the animals solved all their problems, got their basic and off-lead training, got put up for adoption, were adopted within one week. The two animals that didn't finish in the first two weeks got a two-week extension. One was the tail-chasing bull terrier. The other one was a pretty nasty horse that also had to learn to go into a trailer, which is a lot of extra training. They finished in the second two weeks, which was a total of 30 hours of training. 
or less. They got put up for adoption. They both got adopted. Two years later, not a single animal got returned. We then called everyone. All the animals were still successfully in their new place. So that's an average of literally 16 hours, even incorporating the two that took 30 hours or less. And then when I do seminars or when I did seminars, <coughs> the amount of time for a three-day seminar that we might maximally be able to literally work with the dogs was 15 hours. And time after time after time, I saw these people turn these problems around. Doesn't mean you're totally finished. It's one context. But you have a dog that's had a life-limiting problem for years. And just like you said, with that single session, you were able to turn that around and see permanent change. Mm -hmm. I want to share with you that in a recent class, I got revisited by a distant past client client. And I had done a certified a certification seminar at their facility. Uh, these were horse people, not dogs. But one of my favorite videos and favorite stories is the one of Jordy the Rhino. And I've heard this story. Yeah, he'd gone for eight months without them being able to flush an abscess under his horn. And I would tell the story that in a single training session, we did it with air, we did it with water. They only had to add the betadine, which isn't painful. But in 20 minutes or so, we fixed what they had been eight months as a problem. This person that came back to join this class was the person that was <sighs> there with me. I go, do you remember this? Because, you know, I want to cross-examine her in front of the class. Yes, here's proof. See? And she goes, that was amazing. How long did it take us? I don't know. No. You've got to remember. She goes, I'll check my uh, journals. But she hadn't written it down. She said it was such an exciting day because, you know, we did a lot of training at the zoo and so on. But she just remembered. I go, do you think it took you know, more than an hour? Oh, no, we were hardly even there. I'm like, good. Thank you. Because <laughs> some of this stuff, just like you're talking about with the one session and you clear up the whole problem. It is truly hard for us to believe. It is. Because we're so used to either obedience fixes something or it doesn't. Yeah. I'm like, but but there's more than just obedience as an option. Yeah. A lot of trainers use obedience as an exclusive activity. Yeah. And if that's doing what he's told. He's not doing the wrong thing, but that doesn't fix the dying desire to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I want to thank you 
for joining me today. This has been nothing but fun. Well, thank you for the invitation. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't have it handy right now, but I was just going to say, if you don't mind. Nope, I don't have one handy. I was going to grab one of my business cards. Uh, When I went through perception modification training and certification, the definition of perception modification is a process used to empower dogs to cope with stress and manage their emotions. Well done. And then when I saw it happen over and over and over and over again, and I was working for another trainer, but I wanted to do more perception modification and that didn't really 100% fit the mold there. And there were other extenuating circumstances, but I, um, I left that job and had intended at some point down the road to start my own business, but I had just had surgery on my arm and it needed to heal. It was a disaster. And so I thought this will be months down the road. Um, it wasn't long before people were hunting me down. Please train my dog. Wow. My dog. And I thought, well, I guess I better start a business then. And what did I name my business? Do you remember? No, I'm not sure I knew. I named my business off of the definition of perception modification. I am the empowered dog. Yes. That is hard. It's hard because you'll just off screen for a minute. That is how much perception modification changed the way that I train. I made it part of my business. I'll be right back. And yeah. you know what, Angela, is that 95% of what professional dog trainers do is solving problems. Yes. Most people don't care if their dog sits on command even. Nope. They just don't want them to eat people or cats or children or run into the street or slobber on the dinner table. Oh, um, it's backwards. No, no, it'll show fine. It it reads fine for me. It's just backwards for you. Oh, perfect. So, and that's. Okay. So hold it up there one more second. Dirty on there. So that if people want to contact you, can you put it even closer to the screen? Yeah, there you go. It doesn't want to focus, does it? No, it's not. It's having a little bit of a problem. But anyway. Really close and back up. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you, it's, it's good enough that they'll be able to get it. Cool. But do you want to give, like, how do you prefer to be contacted on Facebook, on uh, your email? I have a website, theempoweredog.com. Can't That's read easy. that. That's mm-hmm. easy. By the way, this shape is Kona. I thought it might be. She's the original empowered dog for me. Yeah. So um, website, theempoweredog.com. Okay. Facebook. Go visit it. The Empowered Dog. (laughs) There you go. So you can email me, Angela, at guess what? TheEmpoweredDog.com. Well, I am. Just what a great afternoon to spend with you. And one of the things I was thinking, uh, we have a covered area here. And we're bringing the horses and the horses are going to be right next to us, right next to the backyard and so on. And when we went into the lumber yard, all of a sudden I said, and I want 17 two by six, 12 foot boards. 
And we got out of there and Dave goes, what for? And I go, I guess they're to make the shelves in the kitchen. And he says, no, it's too heavy for that. And I thought about it. And that night I had a dream. That's going to be a 12 foot long table and two 12 foot long benches so that we can have trainers come here and maybe even camp right on site and we can get together and do work together, have training adventures. <coughs> it's a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, it, it, it's what I meant to say. <laughs> I don't have COVID, everybody. I just have a cold. Well, you're alone, <laughs> so it doesn't matter either way. But, you know, when you guys came down, it's like, yeah. this is a real problem. Can this be fixed? Can you also advance your own training abilities? Can we do something together that, you know, is going to add to the, like, maybe you guys have another project. There's nothing more fun for me than working together with other fantastic trainers to go to the next pinnacle. Mm -hmm. Let's help some more dogs. Let's help some more people. Let's figure this out. So, Yes, I'm, I'm down. Keep me posted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do it. Yeah. My son lives in North Carolina now, so yeah, he can either reason. come up here, yeah, or um, yeah, or you can do it on the way too. And yeah, hey, thank you so much, Angela, and I look forward to next time. Thank you, everybody. Please uh, spread the word. Help me because um, we need to get this word out to a lot of people. And I still have a lot of social networking challenges ahead of me. So please like it, share it, support it, write me advice on what to do. And uh, we'll go forward together. You take care. We'll see you next time. Hey fans, are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.